Good morning, Austin. The time is 7 a.m. on December 6th, and you're listening to Records and Rebounds on KVRX Austin, HD1 and HD2. I'm coming to you, uh, not live actually, pre-recorded from Needville, Texas, small town south of Houston. You probably haven't heard of it. Um, hope everyone had a wonderful, well-rested Thanksgiving break. Um, unfortunately, you couldn't hear my wonderful voice and uh, show in the meantime that last week, but um, I'm back again. And if you recall from my last last episode, I believe it was uh, the 22nd of November, but I might be wrong. I'm not entirely sure. Um, you may recall that I left on a rather rushed note. Um, and the reason for that is that there was so much that was left unsaid, essentially. I just finished up some of my draft analysis, as much as I could fit in the remainder of my time following my wonderful interview with Markel McKinney. And I was unable to even touch free agency at all, um, which is a pretty big deal, obviously. I mean, this free agency, which has finally gotten to full swing in, in the meanwhile, um, plenty of moves, plenty of signings have happened since I last spoke with y'all. And because of this, I've decided to dedicate the entirety of this episode, essentially, just to free agency, because I feel like I can pretty much cover an hour just speaking of every single move, not every single move, of course, but as many moves as I can fit into an hour. Um, I'm going to try to be as detailed as possible with, with each of the teams I discuss. Um, I'm pretty much just going to, I don't really have a set plan on which teams I'm going to talk about, um, but I'm just going to go through uh, my list of a couple that I've been thinking about, a couple that have been in my mind with some of the trades that they've been making and the, the signings that they've been doing. And just kind of give my thoughts on the moves that they made and how I think that's going to fare for this next season, which is coming up pretty soon. Um, what is that? 16 days since from this recording that the season will start, which is, wow, pretty soon. Um, so, yeah, I'll just be talking about some of the moves that teams have been making, how they're going to fare, uh, their future as a whole as a franchise. So, yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. Coming up first... You know how to talk about them. It's, of course, the Houston Rockets. Um, can't talk about this team enough. I think the situation that they're at right now is incredibly interesting, albeit kind of depressing, knowing that their future isn't incredibly bright at the moment. Um, but I do think that this offseason has been fairly kind to them, I, I guess is fair to say. I guess kind for a for their situation. Um discounting all of the uh, front office stuff that's been going on but just looking at it from a purely player perspective it's it's been interesting I mean that's that's the main word I'd use to describe it I mean it's it's really hard to tell just looking at these names whether it's going to translate well into actual playing it's pretty good on paper I'm not going to lie in my opinion um, but let's just go ahead and get get into the players they've added and the players that they've lost so by trade the Rockets have acquired incredibly recently I believe this was this was Last Wednesday, they acquired John Wall from the Washington Wizards. They drafted Kenyon Martin Jr., 52nd overall in the draft. In free agency, they picked up Christian Wood from the Detroit Pistons, Deshaun Tate from the Sydney Kings, and DeMarcus Cousins. Players they lost include Robert Robert Covington, lost by trade to the Portland Trailblazers, and Russell Westbrook, who was traded to the Wizards in exchange for John Wall and a first-round pick. In free agency, they lost Jeff Green, Bruno Caboclo, Damari Carroll, Tyson Chandler, Michael Frazier, Gerald Green, Luke Mbamote, 
Austin Rivers, Fabocephalosha, and William Howard. So, yeah, you can kind of see how it's pretty interesting. They, they got rid of their second option in exchange for another one, and this trade has been, in the time that people have been talking about it, it has been talked about a ton, uh, mostly with kind of just confusion, really. Um, there were rumors floating around a while back ago. It must have been like the very start of uh, the, the offseason where the idea was floated for a trade between the Wizards and the Rockets for John Wall and Russell Westbrook. Um, but nothing really happened regarding it. It, it kind of went silent, kind of just fell off for a while. And this news came out of pretty much nowhere. <laughs> it was a surprise to just about everybody. It came up on my Twitter one day and I was like, wow, that, that just came out of nowhere. Um, and a lot of people were saying that it's just kind of a wash, really. I mean, you have two players who are on uh, huge, huge contracts that are pretty much very difficult to offload. Um, I know the Rockets were looking into trying to get Russell Westbrook to a team like the Hornets or the Knicks in exchange for some young talent and some first-round picks. Fortunately, that didn't happen. Uh, instead, they decided to kind of do a one-for-one -one swap between two players on very unwieldy contracts. Uh, the Rockets also got a first-round pick out of the trade, but um, it's fairly protected, so remains to be seen whether or not they'll be able to actually, we'll be able to actually capitalize on that. Um, so, yeah, so the reason people are saying this is like a one-for-one -one trade is pretty much because these players have relatively identical play styles, really. Um, so let's talk about Russell Westbrook first, of course. Um, he is, he's Russell Westbrook. Like, you know who the guy is. He is a great offensive presence. He was phenomenal on the Thunder uh, for a fairly sustained period of time. He essentially carried that team into playoffs. He was averaging triple doubles. He was breaking records left and right. Phenomenal offensive and team facilitator. Um, came to the Rockets last year and essentially just kind of, he did a good job. I mean, in the, in the regular season, there were, there were periods of time where James Harden kind of took a step back in his role and Russell Westbrook would kind of take the, the, the mantle and provide the offensive power of the team. And, then the then the postseason came around, and he was coming off an injury, um, coming off a coronavirus diagnosis, and unfortunately that affected his game pretty massively. He ended up kind of being a liability in the playoffs against teams like the Thunder, uh, the Lakers. He just really couldn't get it together. He was very prone to turnovers, very prone to making incredibly bold um bold to put it lightly, decisions regarding his, his playmaking and his shot selection. Um, took some really weird shots from outside the arc, even though he's not a notoriously great three-point shooter. Um, it was fun to watch him, like, scream at the fans, like, in the in the barren crowd. Like, he drained a three-pointer and just, like, started yelling at, like, all the families in the crowd. Like, that's, it's enjoyable to watch, I guess. But besides that, I mean, his, his performance was not very good in the playoffs. Um, and coming off of that run, he kind of just said, you know what, I'm done with Houston. I don't want to be here anymore. He started complaining vocally to the organization, uh, got leaked pretty soon after, um, the, the off season began talking about how his issues were with the lack of accountability with the culture of Houston, how he, um, wanted to be a more dominant player on an offense. Um, 
And yeah, I guess he just didn't really want to play second fiddle to James Harden anymore. He wanted to be in that same role he was in in the Thunder, where he was the main facilitator, the top dog of the offense. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where Russell Westbrook was standing going into this offseason. Uh, next up is John Wall. Um, back when Wall was healthy, he was a beast. He had a very similar play style to Russell Westbrook, kind of that interior presence. Um Fortunately for the Rockets, he's a somewhat better shooter than Wall uh, than uh, than Westbrook, not to a huge extent, but he's definitely more capable outside the arc and from mid range than Russell Westbrook is. Um, unfortunately, the biggest issue with Wall is that he was coming off major injuries to his uh, his leg. I don't remember exactly what they were. I think one of them was an Achilles rupture. Um, and I think there was something else that happened before that. So essentially, these all culminated in him missing two years worth of playing time which that is pretty monumental so no one's seen john wall play in an organized nba level game in two years which makes him a huge if for the rockets and i think this was a big reason why the wizards wanted to offload him i I know he was uh fairly well respected within the wizards community um one of the players that they kind of built their core around really they drafted him he'd been with the team ever since um, kind of playing alongside Bradley Beal, especially as Beal was developing into the player he is today, a phenomenal player in his own right. Um, but yeah, I mean, these these injuries have turned him into a major, what's going to happen with this guy? No one really knows for sure. Um, just judging off from what we saw when, we, when he was playing, he'll be kind of a similar player that Russell Westbrook is um if he gets back to where he was before the injuries for Houston it'll want to be I honestly think it'll be a positive um just because he has some more of the skills that the Rockets need he's a better shooter as I mentioned he's a bit better uh in terms of his assists his playmaking especially when you kind of compare between like how much Russell Westbrook is used because obviously Russell Westbrook gets crazy numbers of assists but it's because his usage rate is like massive um so yeah, I mean, if, if John Wall can be healthy, he will be a very solid player for the Rockets. But that's a very big if. I mean, he could come back and just play incredibly mediocre. Um, I don't remember how exactly old he is, but I think he's he's in his 30s, I know that much. So he's definitely an aging player. He's on a huge contract. It's like $800,000 less than Russell Westbrook's, which is like pretty much nothing. Um, so it wasn't really a cost-saving move by uh, by uh the owner of the Rockets. Um, I mean, yeah, like this, that, those are the reasons why kind of people are saying that this is kind of a wash. No one really knows whether or not it's going to be beneficial for either team, especially because both players have major ifs regarding their game, whether they can fit in with the, the style of play that each team is facilitating. Um, I, I guess the biggest way to justify this trade would just be a culture thing. Like I mentioned earlier, Russell Westbrook was unhappy with his situation in Houston, wanted to be out, uh, no matter where that took him, and uh, reportedly John Wall was interested in the idea of playing in Houston. I'm not entirely sure what his issue was being in Washington. It may just be hard to kind of form an attachment with a team that you haven't played for in two years, but um, who really knows on that regard. But it just seems like both players would be happier um, in a different culture, and I'd, I'd say that's probably one of the biggest reasons why this, this trade actually went through. There is no noticeable gain to be had by either team unless they know something that we don't, which they very well could, I guess. But um, 
yeah, it's it's just a very big what if for both teams. So uh, not really much too much else to be said there. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and move on to some of the other moves that the Rockets made in the offseason. I think the biggest one is actually regarding their their center position. Um, as everyone knows, the Rockets foregoed centers during last season in, in favor of uh, running a small ball lineup with P.J. Tucker at center, who is uh, 6'5", I believe. So not a traditional center in any sense of the word. Um, unfortunately for, for this plan, it was kind of abused incredibly heavily in the offseason or uh, the postseason, especially by the Lakers, who used Anthony Davis to kind of just bully all over poor P.J. Tucker, who, who held his ground pretty well. I'm not going to lie. I mean, he was a very solid defender against the Lakers, but when you're playing against a presence like Anthony Davis, you need an actual center to stand your ground, uh, which is why the Rockets kind of fell apart during their, their games against the Lakers. Um, and so realizing this, the new management decided, you know what, small ball was a good experiment, but we're going to go back to a more traditional lineup with a center. Um, and to fulfill this, they picked up Christian Wood and DeMarcus Cousins. So Christian Wood, who came from the Detroit Pistons, is a uh, power forward slash center. Uh, don't remember his exact height. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd have no idea off the top of my head. But the biggest reason why I think he's going to be a huge benefit to the Rockets is the fact that he can stretch the floor. Um, obviously, the Rockets needed a center, but if they wanted to kind of continue their play style of how They've been running it in the past few seasons, which is a very three-point heavy offense with a main facilitator like Russell Westbrook or John Wall to kind of dive in and kick it out to the uh, perimeter. They needed someone who was able to get out of the paint, uh, provide some space for the person who was driving, and get out to the perimeter and be able to shoot at least somewhat effectively. That was the big issue with um, Clint Capella. He was a pretty good presence in the paint, but he... He clogged it, essentially, and that's why when him and Russell Westbrook were on the floor together, Russell was incredibly inefficient. Um, he just wasn't a very good player with the two, which is why uh, back in February, the Rock decided to kind of just get rid of him in exchange for Robert Covington, which kind of signaled that whole microball experiment. Um, Christian Wood, thankfully, he is a fairly decent three-point shooter. Uh, he is a pretty big, pretty good stretch five. Um which is going to be huge for the Rockets, especially if he can prove himself to be a reliable shooter on the perimeter, if he can just provide some solid rebounding because the Rockets were awful at that last year, which contributed heavily to why they were losing some of their games. Because um, you can put up monster numbers, but if you can't get rebounds, you can't get second chances, you can't, get, uh, you can't stop possessions from the other team. It was just disastrous in the long run. Um, DeMarcus Cousins, who will most likely be coming off the bench, um, is a pretty... He's, a, he's another player like John Wall that has been uh, hurt heavily by injuries and has affected his game to a fairly significant degree. Back in his time in like Sacramento, um, back when he was a younger player, he was pretty pretty dominant. He was a very great rebounder, really good offensive presence in the paint. Um, unfortunately, in recent years, because of those injuries, he has kind of taken a much more minor reserved role. Um, but if he can display flashes of his brilliance that he could in his earlier years it will be very good for the Rockets um I mean just having a good center will be good for the Rockets I mean that's that's really what it boils down to just having someone who can play that traditional five role um, when they're being obliterated by teams with solid centers I mean 
that's what they need at this moment. I think they did a pretty good job of fulfilling that role as best as they could. Um, unfortunately, you can't have everything. They lost players like Robert Covington, which is um, obviously a very big loss for the Rockets. Robert Covington was phenomenal for the time that they had him, especially in the playoffs. Dude was a great help defender. He was a very good three-point shooter. Was undoubtedly a great pickup for the team. Um, they also lost Russell Westbrook, as we mentioned. Uh, Jeff Green, which in the playoffs, he was pretty good. I mean, Jeff Green surprised me. He surprised a lot of people. Um, he was the only really traditional center, I guess, on the Rockets. Um much taller than everybody else on the floor, uh, on the rocket side at least. And he he kind of fulfilled a similar role as Christian Wood. We kind of he could shoot the ball pretty well. Um, so it's going to be def definitely difficult to not have him next year. Um, besides that, losing Austin Rivers is definitely a detriment. He wasn't exceptionally good, of course, but um, we definitely have a deficiency right now at the uh, point guard position. Um, unless Kenyon Martin is a point guard, I'm not entirely sure. Um, so we might actually be playing our rookie as our uh, reserve point guard, which will be interesting to see at least. Besides that, I mean, that's pretty much the major moves that Houston did. Um, so yeah, in regards to how they're going to perform next season, it's it's all up in the air. I think Houston's one of those teams that you really just have to get into the first few games of the season and feel out how their offense is performing until you can make a judgment on how their performance is going to be because no one really knows at this point. They've made massive changes to their roster construction, uh, their lineups, their their offensive capabilities. So it's definitely going to be just a matter of seeing how they perform when they actually get on the floor. I do think, obviously, if you have James Harden, you're going to be a playoff team. I don't think it's really outside anyone's imagination that the Rockets won't make the playoffs. I'm pretty sure that is... I don't think they'll be as high as they were this year. Maybe they won't be the fourth seed. They'll probably be hovering around that six or seven range. Um, unless they really just surprise everybody and just go off. Um, there's a really good chance that James Harden just dominates this year, especially if John Wall isn't the the same offensive presence he was in his, his earlier years. I think the really big test is going to be seeing whether or not they can perform in the playoffs because obviously James Harden can per can perform um, to a phenomenal extent in the regular season. But when it comes to the postseason, the Rockets have notoriously been a fairly weak team, um, never making a finals appearance with James Harden on the roster. So do I think they're going to go to the finals? Probably not. I think the West is just so stacked this year that they really don't have too much of a chance even if they did keep their exact roster that they had last year, um, even if they made their, their roster a little bit better by signing people like Christian Wood and DeMarcus Cousins, I still don't think they would be a, a finalist contender. Uh, they would be a contender. I mean, I, I definitely think with James Harden, like you can always be a contender, right? Dude is just that amazing on offense. But just with teams like the Lakers, who I'll touch on later because they somehow miraculously got better. I don't know. <laughs> It's, it's honestly amazing to see um, the Clippers, the Mavericks, the Nuggets as always, the Jazz, the Suns will be a playoff team this year, I'm pretty sure. I'll talk about them as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be really difficult to see the Rockets becoming a finalist uh, this year and for the next few years, actually. Um, speaking of their, their future, 
I do like how the Rockets are starting to stockpile picks as much as they can. Uh, they traded Robert Covington for two first-round picks, and they traded uh, Trevor Ariza, and I believe one of those picks to the Pistons. Um, so I think at this point in time, they have maybe two or three first-round picks for the next five or so years, um, which isn't a lot, obviously, compared to someone like OKC, which has, like, what, like, 18 first round picks for the next like seven years which is absolutely insane um yeah I, I still think our future is not the brightest especially because once again all of our stars are pretty old on the team so even if they do decide to stay if even if James Harden decides to to stay out the rest of his time in Houston which is looking more and more unlikely as the days go on um there isn't too much hope left for this current iteration of the Rockets to become a, a playoff winning championship team, which is pretty depressing, but it is what it is. You know, I mean, they've had a fairly long window and it's just been incredibly unlucky with the Warriors taking up the spotlight years with James Harden and Chris Paul, um, the Lakers being just dominant and crushing the small ball experiment uh, this year. So, yeah, I mean, there's always a chance with for a team like the Rockets to just surprise all of our expectations, which I would be ecstatic if that happened. Um, with a team that lives and dies by the three, if they can just hit their shots, they might be scary, like incredibly scary this year. But, I mean, we've been saying that for the past five years now since James Harden's been going off like he has. But, yeah, I, I'm definitely hopeful for the Rockets, but I'm not keeping my hopes like too high. I think that's all that really there is to be said about the Rockets. I do think they're going to be one of the primary teams to watch in this next season, just to see whether or not this experiment with all these new players works out or not. Um, and correspondingly, it'll be interesting to see the Wizards. Uh, I haven't really talked to them too much. They didn't make too many major moves, but I do think the Wizards have a fairly decent chance of being a playoff team, especially with Russell Westbrook, if he can perform pretty long, pretty well alongside Bradley Beal. Which, it's kind of funny to see how Russell Westbrook wanted to be the, the primary key of an offense uh, in any team. And now he's stuck playing second fiddle, most likely to Bradley Beal, who is a phenomenal offensive player in his own right. So, I mean, it remains to be seen whether or not Russell Westbrook's going to be happy with his situation next year. He might just want to go back to a very small market team like OKC or um, the, the Hornets or the Knicks. Or not the Knicks, I mean, they're a huge market team, they just suck. Um... Just a team that he can just go in and be a dominant player. I'm not sure if he's going to go to one of those teams, but I can definitely see him in his twilight years trying to get back into that role of being the primary piece for a team. Uh, but going back to the Wizards, I do think they have a fairly decent shot at becoming the 8th seed or the 7th seed, especially with this new play-in tournament that the NBA is adopting. Um, it's not incredibly likely, I would say. or It's... It's pretty up in the air whether or not they do, just because the East is pretty good this year. Um, a lot of teams, like the Hawks, have gotten massively better. The Sixers were a playoff team last year, but they have gotten a lot better, I would say, um, with some of the changes that they've made. So, yeah, I mean, the Wizards may surprise us and be a playoff team. They may surprise us and kind of just not be very good. It just remains to be seen for the most part. Um so yeah, this trade, uh, the John Wall Westbrook trade for both teams, it's it's just a very big what if. I know I'm repeating myself a lot, but I mean, I I really can't tell you what this means for both of these teams. 
it's it's definitely going to be one of those things where you have to just watch them in action and see formulate that opinion for yourself and i believe that's pretty much all i have to say about both of these two teams so i'm going to go ahead and move on to the next one which is the philadelphia 76ers another team that i am adoring at the moment especially because i'm a huge daryl Morey fanboy and i'm going to be drawn to whatever adventures this dude's going on and he's been going he's been doing a lot of work in the 76ers so let's go ahead and get into that so the sixers through the draft acquired tyrese maxey a 21st overall isaiah joe 49th overall and paul reed with the 58th pick by trade they acquired danny green from the lakers uh, via the oklahoma city thunder Terrence Ferguson from the Oklahoma City Thunder, Seth Curry from the Dallas Mavericks, and Tony, Tony Bradley from the Utah Jazz. Through free agency, they also acquired Dwight Howard from the Lakers and Ryan Brokoff from the Dallas Mavericks. In terms of players they lost include uh, Al Horford uh, traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder, Josh Richardson traded to the Dallas Mavericks, Zaire Smith traded to the Detroit Pistons. Uh, free agents lost include Alec Burks, Raul Nato, uh, Ryan Brokoff and Kylo Quinn and Glenn Robinson III. So this has been a pretty decent offseason for the 76ers. Um, number one, a great thing to keep in mind is that they offloaded that awful contract of Al Horford's and they got a pretty decent player out of it, actually. Um, not to say Al Horford is a bad player by any stretch of the imagination. He was... Uh, fairly decent for the team uh, last year. He wasn't like exceptional or anything, but he was pretty good. Um, back in his earlier days, he was a fairly solid player for sure. Um, but uh, trading him away, they got rid of that really hefty, unwieldy contract that uh, was plaguing their construction and got Danny Green out of it. And Danny Green isn't a exceptional player, of course. Um, he was mocked pretty hard during the the postseason with the Lakers, but he's a pretty good player. I mean, I'm not going to lie. He is a solid three-point shooter, and he is pretty good on defense. He is a plus defender. Um, so, yeah, this was this was a great trade for the Sixers, honestly. And I, I assume the Thunder did this, number one, to get more draft picks, as Sam Presti has been stockpiling as many first-round picks as he can. And I guess Al Horford is going to be the tank commander in uh, Oklahoma City for uh, as long as they're tanking, I guess, which... I don't know what their what their plan is because well, I know what their plan is. They have so many draft picks. They can just they can strike big in free agency. They can draft players. They can they can trade those picks away. I mean, they have a great arsenal set up uh, for the next foreseeable future. Um, so yeah, Al Horford's gonna be the tank commander in the Thunder for now, and Danny Green's gonna come in and be a solid contributor in the starting lineup for the Sixers. Um, another major acquisition for them was actually. Um, Seth Curry from the Mavericks. This is huge. So just to give some background, the, the biggest issue that was plaguing the Sixers last season was the sort of um, the blending of the play styles of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid because both are they're large players. Ben Simmons plays as point guard. Uh, Joel Embiid is, of course, the center. And neither of them can shoot very well. Um, ben Simmons has little to no effectiveness outside of a 15-foot range from the rim. Um, Joel Embiid occasionally kicks it out uh, or takes a shot from the perimeter, but, I mean, very seldomly. Um, definitely a much more uh, viable presence in the paint. And the issue with their construction is that with, with players like that, you need to surround them with shooters. You need to have 
plenty of shooters who can sit on the perimeter and ch jack up threes and have a big guy like Ben Simmons or um, Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. Honestly, they're both pretty massive players and collect the rebound and either put it up for extra points or kick it back out for more shots. And that's what Daryl Morey was really going for. He he saw that sort of lack of three-point shooting that the 76ers had last season. Um, and last season, they were just disappointing. That's the word, really. I mean, they had such high expectations. People were predicting to be, some people were predicting to be finalists uh, in the East, and they got swept in the first round by the Boston Celtics, who were a great team, but should not have beat the 76ers in four games. I mean, they just kind of fell apart. And of course, Ben Simmons was coming off an injury. He didn't have any playing time. Um, but it was just an awful showing for the 76ers. And so their new starting lineup is going to look something like uh, Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Tobias Harris, Danny Green, and Joel Embiid, which fulfills a lot of the issues that were plaguing them, like I just mentioned. Um, Seth Curry is a amazing shooter. I, you really can't understate how good this dude is at shooting. I mean, he's Steph, he's Steph Curry's brother. Um, that'll give you enough context already if you don't know Seth Curry, but he was phenomenal for the Mavericks. He is one of the best shooters in the league, honestly. The only issue is that that's pretty much his, his main shtick. He's not a very... He's not an excellent defender by, by any means. Um, I think he's pretty bad, actually. Um, but his shooting is just so amazing. It makes up for that. And, of course, Danny Green is a great shooter in his own right and is a plus defender. And so... And, of course, Tobias Harris. I mean, he was on the team last year. But um, his contract, of course, is a bit too large for a player of his caliber but he's still a really respectable player he's he was pretty decent for the Sixers it's just the fact that his contract kind of gets in the way of making any meaningful changes to the roster and when you coupled that with Al Horford it was really difficult for them to to make any massive free agency moves or anything but uh, they already got rid of Al Horford now so they're already positioned to acquire more players some better players um maybe they'll do some stuff next year um, speaking of next year, I mean, the biggest the biggest question for them is whether or not this new team is going to work with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid together. That's been on a lot of people's minds recently, the fact that one of these two may be destined to go relatively soon. It hasn't worked um, for the Sixers too well these these past few years. I mean, they they got to the uh, second round of the of the um, playoffs a couple years ago. And I think that may have been their peak. I, I can't remember if they made a, uh, a conference finals appearance. I'm not entirely sure. But they haven't had a ton of success in the playoffs having these two players because they both kind of have a very similar play style. Um, both are phenomenal, phenomenal defenders, some of the best in the league. But their offense is just heavily limited by the fact that they can't really shoot. And, of course, for Joel, it's not really too much of an issue because he is a, tradi he is a very traditional center. Um, huge guy can bully other smaller centers around in, t in today's league. Um, but for Ben Simmons, it's a lot more difficult um, because as a point guard, most point guards in the league today have a pretty well-developed three-point shot, um, which is pretty detrimental for Ben Simmons not to have one. He is very limited from like 15 feet out. Um, and of course, Joel Embiid is not entirely free from blame. Or I mean, 
his issue is injuries. And of course, you really can't blame him for injuries, but that's the biggest uh, uh, downside to his style of play and him as a player. And so there has been lots of talks about whether or not their play styles are really worth keeping both on the team. And if they can be on the same team and actually contribute to success. I mean, they're both phenomenal players, but it may be better for them to experiment with something else. And that's why there have been a lot of trades floated around, like the idea of Harden for Simmons or Harden for Embiid, um, just to swap one of them out for another star player um, with a offensive game that suits the other better. And of course, it would be a detriment to the team's defense because, like I mentioned, they're both amazing defenders, but it would be a heck of a lot better for their offense um, to have someone who can't actually come in and shoot. And so that's what Daryl Moore is really going for. As I've said over and over again, like he just wants some shooters, and I think he did a pretty good job of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the big question is having shooters, is having these help shooters going to make a big difference and prove that having these two not-so-good shooters, can they, can they play together, essentially? Um, that's the big question going in for the, for the Sixers this season. And they also acquired Dwight Howard, which I think is a really good pickup for them. He's going to be coming off the bench as their backup center. And, of course, as he demonstrated in, in his Lakers uh, stint, he's not the same player he used to be, but he's still a good second option as a center. So I think that's definitely a very good pickup for them, um, especially coming off the bench with players like Matisse Thybul, who is still developing and will be undoubtedly in the next few years a pretty good um, developing developing player for the Sixers. You have people like Furman Korkmaz. Um, who else? Uh, who's their Who's their point guard? I can't remember. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean they they've just made some pretty good moves all around. They've become a better team, and I hate to sound like a broken record, but I mean the biggest issue is just seeing what their ceiling is, you know. So that's, that's really all I'm going to leave it at with the Sixers. I mean, there's not too much more I can say about them. I just really like what they've done with the team just by trying this experiment just one more year. And I'm sure Daryl Morey, who is a very trade-happy person, um, I really don't think he'll shy away from trading one of either Ben Simmons or Joel. But if worse comes to worst, um, I think that is what's going to happen. But there is a good chance that just doing this will work out pretty good for the team. And if it does, I think we can expect to see Joel and Ben on the same team for a while longer. I mean, they're both young players. They both want to stay together. I think it can really go either way. It just all depends on how the team performs this next season. So that's enough about the Sixers. Um, definitely going to be another team that I'm really looking forward to watching. And yeah, that's pretty much all I got for them. Next up, this is a team that is also incredibly interesting to me, is the Phoenix Suns. So the Suns acquired Jalen Smith with the 10th pick in the 2020 draft. They traded for Chris Paul from the Thunder and Abdel Nader from the Thunder as well. In free agency, they signed Jay Crowder from the Heat, Atuan Moore from the Pelicans, and Dario Saric, which was a re-sign. Uh, they lost Ricky Rubio to the Timberwolves uh, via the Thunder trade, Ty Jerome, Kelly Oubre Jr., uh, Jalen Lequay, and they lost free agents Aaron Baines, Shake. Uh, Diallo, Frank Kaminsky, and Tariq Owens. So the big, obviously, name in this uh, list of players is Chris Paul. Chris Paul has been a phenomenal player, even in his advanced uh, twilight years of his career. 
dudes, 35, soon to be 36, and still being a massive contributor to pretty much any team that he's on. He was phenomenal with the Rockets while he was uh, with the team. He went to the Thunder for a year uh, following the Westbrook trade and took a team that was expected to be uh, pitiful in the middle of a rebuild, and he took them all the way to the playoffs and almost beat out the Rockets in a seven-game series um, that he was undoubtedly the commander of. He was in the driver's seat the entire time of the entire team. And it was basically him playing along uh, Steven Adams and a couple of rookies and like Gallinaro as well, or Gallinari, and him like playing alongside younger players like Lou Dort, of course, and Shea. Uh, they, he was just a great presence to have for the team. His playmaking is something that just gets better with age. He is one of the most adaptable games in the NBA because it all revolves around just being a smart player. And that's something that kind of stays with you even as you get older. And that is what makes Chris Paul such a valuable player, even to this day, even now that he's in the later stages of his career, much older than most teams would try to pick up a player at. He's still being traded around to teams to um, just make them better. I mean, he's not just trade bait. Like, he's actually a solid contributor to teams. And so that's what the Suns were going for. They wanted somebody to come in with some of their younger talent, like... Um, uh, Devin Booker, of course, DeAndre Aiden, um, Los Caliubre. Um, yeah, just just be that sort of playmaking powerhouse that the team desperately needed and provide some guidance to some of their younger players who are still developing. Like even even though Devin Booker is like a phenomenal player, like he's still developing. DeAndre Aiden is still developing. Like he will be a great addition to the team just based upon the fact that he has experience. And he can be a playmaker. That's, that's all they really need him for, honestly. And he's still, like, a decent scorer and stuff. Like, he's not just a playmaker. That's not his entire game. Like, it's a huge part of it. But he can still score. He's still not an awful defender. He's not a great defender, but he's not, like, like horrible. He's not a turnstile or anything. Um, so, yeah, that was the rationale behind uh, trading away uh, Ricky Rubio, uh, Ty Jerome, Kelly Oubre, uh, Jalen, LaQuay, like people like that. They just wanted somebody to come in and just take the take the driver's seat, I guess. That's the best way to put it, really. Um, in regards to the draft, I know a lot of people were really skeptical by the Jalen Smith pick, um, especially when there was a lot of good talent still left on the board, like Tyrese Halliburton, um, uh, who was the... Uh, Devin Vassell, who was taking 11th right after their pick. Um, Jalen Smith was not someone who projected to go this early by any stretch. And I guess the rationale is they wanted just somebody to come off the bench, uh, behind DeAndre Aiden and still be at least a plus on offense because that really is Jalen's entire stick. Like he's a big man who can shoot pretty decently. Um, that was the big reason that a lot of teams were looking at him in the, uh, middle of the first round, um, but I don't think really that many people expected him to go this early. Whether or not it's a great pick for the Suns, I mean, I think it's a pretty solid pick, of course. Like, having somebody to to come in uh, off the bench and still provide offensively, like, that's obviously a plus, right? I do think just considering some of the options they had, like Tyrese and um, Devin Vassell, like, I, I probably would have taken one of those over him. Um... I guess the, the logic behind it was that they're already pretty good in the wing and guard positions, so they didn't really want to have one of those. 
I, I'd assume. Um, it's definitely an awful pick, definitely confusing, but I don't think it's a it's a bad pick by any stretch of the imagination. Um, then, of course, Jay Crowder. Um, he was pretty decent on the Miami Heat. He was starting for them. He was coming in and being a pretty good three-point shooter, a pretty good uh, help defender. Um, he definitely was a contributor to their playoff run, and their, I think he played a little bit in their... I don't know if he was actually on the team during their their uh, regular season. I think they traded for him pretty late. I could be wrong about that. I'm not entirely sure. But definitely in the playoffs, he was a pretty good player. And so, I mean, the Suns signed him for the same reason that the, the Heat had him on the team, just to provide that sort of offensive and defensive versatility, uh, fill up some of the rotation spots they lost due to, like, Kelly Oubre leaving and Ricky Rubio leaving. Um, definitely a good pickup for them in free agency, for sure. Um... Besides that, losing Aaron Baines to Toronto, um, who was going to be replaced by Jalen Smith, I'm assuming. Uh, Kelly Oubre, Ricky, Ru- Ricky, Oof, Ricky Rubio. Wow. Um, I don't think those are major losses to the team. Ricky Rubio is a pretty good playmaker as well, but definitely not Chris Paul level. He was going to have a pretty good role in the in the Timberwolves. Kelly Oubre is a good uh, younger player uh, who I think will be pretty a solid, solid addition to the Thunder. Um, definitely hurts to lose him, but it was definitely a collateral that was necessary in the Chris Paul trade. And then besides that, that was pretty much the major names that were added and uh, subtracted from the team. As a whole, I definitely think the Suns have turned themselves into a playoff team this season. Um, just looking back on the bubble, they went 8-0. The only team to go 8-0. And as, as disappointing as it was to see them not be able to make the playoffs, even after their spectacular last-second mad dash to get into it, and just barely, barely lost it after the the game between the Blazers and the Nets. Um, I I think that just proves how dedicated this team is to getting better, to improving, and to showing that they're not just a perennial um, fringe ninth seed, tenth seed. I think this season they have a very solid chance of at least making the playoffs as a seventh or eighth seed. Um, especially with teams like the Thunder, who are definitely falling off, the Rockets, who may or may not be as good uh, as they were. Like I said, I still think the Rockets are going to make the playoffs, but I mean, there's always surprises that can happen, especially if they decide to blow it up and trade uh, uh, James Harden, which obviously isn't very likely, but if it does, then if they ever get to that point, they're not making the playoffs. Um, I, I definitely think that there is a very solid chance for the Suns to be a 7th or 8th seed, especially with the, the play-in tournament, like I mentioned for uh, the Wizards. I do think that... If they are the 7th or 8th seed, that's obviously going to be a little bit detrimental for them, having to play in a little bit more to, to keep their spot. But I really, I would not be surprised if they are uh, able to make the playoffs just off their their performance alone. Now, I'm not sure how well it'll translate to actually being in the playoffs. Once they're going against a team like the, the Lakers or the Clippers, uh, that's kind of, going to, kind, of, kind of going to be where they're... I'm not going to say they're going to falter completely. Like they, There's always a fighting chance that this team can put up just because of the the firepower of Devin Booker and the playmaking of Chris Paul. I I struggle to see them beating a team like the Lakers or the Clippers. Um, I'm assuming it'll be something like the Blazers situation where it's a pretty good team, but they just can't handle a team with all that talent going against them. I, I don't think they have too many too much hope 
for her finals aspirations or winning a championship this year. I think they're definitely going to be improving year after year. And I do think that, especially like I mentioned with the, all the, with the young talent that they have, they have plenty of time to uh, stay in this role for a little bit longer at least. And once they have the, the players developed enough, once they have the uh, cap space available to sign some bigger name free agents, I think they have the potential within the next five or so years to become finalist contenders. It really just depends on how they play their cards. But besides that, yeah, like I said, I really don't think they'll be like a huge contender this year. Um, if anything, just a playoff team. But that's pretty good considering they haven't been in the playoffs for a pretty long time, I'm pretty sure. Um, I think it's going to be good for them to end their playoff drought and step up as one of the teams in the West, especially with a, team, with a, with a conference as stacked as the West, to at least make the playoffs is a pretty solid achievement in its own right. So definitely a good pickup for the Suns. Um, all of the additions that they made, uh, definitely going to be look forward to looking forward to checking them out next season. Next up, we have the reigning NBA champs, the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, usually in the offseason after a championship run, teams kind of have to defend their their talent that they have from leaving. They have to defend against teams getting better uh, in the offseason. Um, that may have put up a threat to them in the postseason but the Lakers are an example of a team that win the championship and they get better I know a lot of people have been stating that the Lakers won the postseason uh, or the um the offseason and it, it's hard to not agree with that I mean they took a team that was already amazing and they made it even better somehow it's like it's, it's hard to believe honestly but check out these names so they signed Montrez Harrell from the Clippers uh Wesley Matthews from the Bucks Mark Gasol from the Toronto Raptors. They re-signed Markeith Morris, re-signed Jared Dudley, uh, re-signed Costas Antetokounmpo, of course, the only Antetokounmpo brother with a ring. Um, and, of course, Anthony Davis was re-signed. They renegotiated a uh, extension for LeBron. They acquired Dennis Schroeder through a trade, and they got Jordan Bell and Alfonso McKinney from the Cavs. Uh, they lost Danny Green, JaVale McGee, uh, Rayhan Rondo, Avery Bradley, Dwight Howard, J.R. Smith, Dion Waiters. Um, and I believe they re-signed Quinn Cook like just now as I'm recording. So he's also back with the team, but he was uh, his, his situation was a little bit skeptical going into my recording this. Um, so yeah, like just just looking at those names alone, like you can tell like they have massively improved their roster. If you look at some of the people they lost, I mean the biggest name is Rondo. And Rondo was only a really solid contributor to the team in the playoffs. I mean, he wasn't very good in the in the uh, regular season, but his his presence in the postseason was well. It was it was good. He um, was a phenomenal playmaker coming off the bench. He kind of could just tear apart teams uh, with expert precision. He was a good passer. Um, had some pretty gnarly games, and. I mean, he's definitely the biggest loss, but besides that, I mean, Avery Bradley didn't play in the postseason. Dwight Howard was uh, benched, didn't even play some games um, later on, uh, playing against, like, the Heat. J.R. Smith, of course, Deion Waiters, of course. Um, Danny Green, like we talked about, pretty pretty solid player in his own right. And JaVale McGee, who had his moments, but ultimately wasn't a very good um, player for the Lakers. I mean, he was all right, but he wasn't, like, anything ex exceptional. And just looking at some of the players they, they got to replace them, they got Montrez Harrell, Marcus Gasol, 
um, to replace two of their centers who are undoubtedly huge upgrades for them. I mean, Montrez Harrell uh, is one of the uh, six man of the year candidates for uh, quite some time now, actually. He's been, he was pretty decent for the, uh, the Clippers. Um, he was kind of overshadowed by Zubats, who I think is a better player, but he was used extensively by the team, putting up some pretty good minutes and being a good contributor for them. Mark Gasol, who uh, this past postseason wasn't very good for the Raptors, but has uh, historically been a very good player for them. Uh, I think he was their starting, um, their starting center for a lot of their lineups. I'm pretty sure. And the Raptors also lost, of course, Serge Ibaka, which is losing both of their their star center, not star, but solid centers. It's definitely not good for them. But um, and of course, re-signing uh, like Markeith Morris, Jared Dudley. I mean. Good for them, I guess. Um, but the other big name is Dennis Schroeder, who came in from the Thunder, um, another perennial six-man-of-the-year candidate who almost won it this year. And he was pretty good for the Thunder in their playoff run. I mean, he is a very good player off the bench. He was demanding starter minutes for the Lakers. Um, well, not demanding. I don't, I don't really know if he was like, like requiring them, but they talked about it in his contract. So he may actually be coming um, starting for the Lakers, but if not, he's going to be excellent off the bench to fulfill that sort of role that Rondo had. Um, I mean, yeah, like just those names, like <laughs> it's almost undoubtable that the Lakers were the winners of the offseason, especially just coming off their, their massive playoff success. They didn't lose any um, of the core contributors to the team's success, uh, like I said, besides Rondo. Um... Yeah, I mean, I haven't paid too much attention to the Lakers. I mean, I I respect them. <laughs> I I think they're definitely the favorites to win the finals this year as well, just based upon their performance last year and all of the the excellent additions that they've gotten uh, this this off season. I do think that they're probably gonna be coasting for a little bit, so I wouldn't be too surprised if they seem to be worse than people are, are expecting them to be. But I think it's just because they're resting LeBron, who's getting up there in age and is still almost an MVP candidate. Or he's, he's is MVP caliber, which is insane, but I'm sure they're going to rest him a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I really do think that the Lakers are going to be the title favorites for this next season. And of course, teams like the Clippers did also get marginally better as well. Um, the Bucks got better in the East. You have teams like the uh, the Sixers who were considered to be potential finalist candidates. You have the Heat once again. Um, I mean, teams that were competing with the Lakers also got better, but the Lakers proved that they were better last season, and I think that now they've gotten even greater than they were before. They just need to continue that momentum that they had, and I think they have a really good shot of doing that. So I think that really just about covers it for the Lakers. I mean, everything that's been needed to be said about the Lakers has already been said by just about everybody. Like, everyone knows they're going to be um, the team to beat this next season. So I definitely think that they just solidified their ground as the best team in the West, um, quite possibly the best team in the NBA at the moment. Yeah, I think the, the Lakers are going to be scary this season just as they were last season. So we got time for just about one more team to cover, and I think I'm going to spend this uh, these few remaining minutes I have covering the Dallas Mavericks. 
And so with the draft, they acquired Josh Green, 18th overall, Tyrell Terry, 31st, and Tyler Fay with the 36th pick. Through trade, they acquired Josh Richardson from the Sixers, James Johnson from the Timberwolves uh, via the Oklahoma City Thunder. Free agency, they signed Wes Iwundu, J.J. Barea as a re-sign, and Willie Cauley-Sign is also a re-sign. Uh, they lost Seth Curry through trade to the Sixers, DeLon Wrights to the Pistons, Justin Jackson to the Thunder. Uh, they lost Michael Kidd-Gilchrist in free agency, Courtney Lee, Josh Reeves, and Antonius Cleveland. Um, basically, the main trade here is Josh Richardson. Like we talked about with the Sixers, um, how Danny, or not Danny Green, um, <laughs> Seth Curry came in is going to be instantly a good contributor for that team. I think this is one of those trades where both teams stand to benefit. I think Josh Richardson is going to be a pretty good pickup for the Mavericks. He didn't really fit in super well in Philadelphia playing alongside that system, but I think the defense that he provides that to the Mavericks without too much of a loss in terms of offensive uh, capability, definitely not nearly as good as a shooter, but he's still a pretty solid offensive presence. Um, I mean, the main thing is there is just his defense. I mean, the, the Mavericks were, of course, the best historic um, offensively rated team last season, uh, partly in due, partly due to um, their excellent coaching under Rick Carlisle and Steven Silas, who is now with the Rockets. Um, but I think having this additional defense is going to be a pretty good pickup for the team. Besides that, I don't have too much more to say about the moves that they've made besides uh, Tyrell Terry is predicted to be a pretty good addition, um, getting them 31st overall. I believe is a pretty respected pick by a lot of people. Um, Josh Green, I really don't know too much about him or any of their draft picks, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, I mean the main trade there is the Josh Richardson trade, and I mean the reason I want to talk about I wanted to talk about the Mavericks is just because I think they're going to be one of the teams to watch in the West next season. I mean they were already phenomenal this uh, this last season. I believe they were the fifth seed, maybe the sixth seed. Um, of course, losing to the Clippers was uh, not the best way to go out, but it was Luka's first playoff appearance, and he was a monster, as always. Um, it was disappointing to not see him go further than the first round, but I think just having him develop even more, I mean, I definitely think it's possible. He's already a phenomenal player, but this is his second year. He's going into his third now. Um, he's going to be—I think he's going to get better, honestly. And if you can couple that with Kristaps getting better um, in terms of injuries, being able to play more, I believe his status is still a little bit uncertain. Um, I think they have announced he's going to be coming back in January, possibly. That's the last thing I heard, but I could be wrong on that. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I just think that this was a good, there was a team that was good last season, right? And I really think that they have nowhere else to go but up. I think acquiring Josh Richardson was a net plus for the team. Uh, like I said, it was a trade that was really good for both parties, like I've talked about with the Sixers. I would not be surprised if the Mavericks could become that. Uh, I think they're in that like three through six range um, in terms of like seeding. I think they could fall anywhere between there. Um, I would say one and two are definitely a lock for the Lakers and the Clippers just based off like their talent, what they've already proven alone. But I think... Anywhere ranging from like three to six is kind of up in the air between like the Mavericks and the Jazz and uh, the Nuggets and the Rockets, um, maybe even the Suns this season. I don't know. Um, 
but I, I definitely do think just based upon Luca alone and some of his supporting cast around him, like that's all you really need to be in that that three through six range, in my opinion. Luca is just one of the best players in the NBA right now, um, and it's only his third year this this year. Like that that is insane. Like this dude's like barely old enough to drink now, and he's already like stunning over like half the like over half the NBA. Like it is insane to me. Um, <laughs> I can't talk about my my love for Luca enough, even though he is my uh, Texas rival, um, the Mavericks are, um, I'm, I'm glad to see them becoming a better team with a brighter future than the Rockets are. <laughs> it hurts to say that, but I mean, they're, they're doing, they're doing good, honestly. Um, yeah, I mean, they didn't have too many like monumental moves this off season. It was really, I just wanted to talk about like my predictions for their future, which are like just nothing but positive things to say about them and the uh, Josh Richardson trade. But yeah, besides that, I just think they're going to be a great team next season. And with that wraps just about um, all I can cover with this time. I mean, obviously there are what, like I cover four teams or five teams. I don't know. There's like 20, 26 to 25 teams that I haven't even covered their moves this off season. This is just like a very, limited view of like some of the teams that I thought like made a pretty good uh impact to their team definitely not an all-encompassing uh analysis of this entire free agency and it even it wasn't even like a huge like free agency like I've mentioned before like this wasn't like a super hyped free agency or whatever that's going to be next year and uh the year after that as well that's when a lot of big name players are going to be ending their contracts testing the market I think that's when that's what's going to be even more interesting to see than this, but I think a lot of teams that were kind of um, looking for someone just to add to benefit their team just a little bit more than they were already at right now, I think a lot of teams accomplished that this offseason. And so, yeah, I mean, that just about wraps it up. I mean, obviously, like I said, there's there's plenty more to be said that I don't have time for, but I think that should be a pretty good view of some of the teams that I think have done a pretty decent job this offseason. But yeah, you've been listening to Records and Rebounds on KVRX Austin, HD1 and HD2. Have a great rest of your day.